You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. All right, good morning, good morning, good morning. You know, uh, right before I came up, it happens to be 9.30 right now, which is a little earlier than, uh, than oftentimes I'll, I'll get up here. And so right before I came up, my wife said to me, you're not going to preach all the way to the normal time, are you? She's a smart lady, and I'll, I'm a smart guy if I listen to her today. I am excited to talk to you today about a subject that I think is relevant to all of us. It's a subject that's heavy on my heart and has been for uh, quite a while, and something actually we have talked about in bits and pieces uh, over the last year as we've gone through this kind of COVID season, um, and something that more recently I've speaking, uh, spoken with the leadership community about, uh, and, and I think it's so important for us because we live in a, a culture today that uh, some have called an argument culture, where all that we seem to do is to uh, reduce things to basically two positions, and then we repeat them or yell them at one another, and we sort of lob grenades uh, at each other, demonizing one another because of the position that the other person holds. And what's more is we've taken this and we've actually made it into an art form, but the majority of what we do in, in watching media, right, in terms of watching the news, listening to talk radio, uh, listening to the talking heads, is we basically watch other people fight. We watch other people see who has the best arguments and who has the best smackdowns. Right? And it's almost as if we're like, we are so excited to see, well, are they on the left, are they on the right, and what are the positions that they're going to hold, and now let's see how well they can fight with one another. And it's really a terrible place to be. Uh, I just want to be honest with you. This, this is not a good place for any culture to be, uh, and certainly not a good place for us as Christians uh, to be. And yet, here as Christians, I don't think we're doing any better than the rest of the culture in general. Right? Because as Christians, we tend to fall into those same uh, categories where we are c moving into one side and reducing the other side's position to sort of a set of uh, almost things that we can demonize. You say, man, they're evil if they believe that. I can't imagine that you believe that. And it's really difficult for Christians because we hold things so closely. Like we often believe those convictions that we have, those beliefs that we have are based off of the word of God, which is unchangeable. And so as soon as we begin to wrap up our position or our stance on any particular issue and we connect it with our faith, then suddenly we, we feel not only very emotional about it, but man, if anyone feels differently, it's offensive. I, I mean, how could we even stand next to them in church? How could we even worship with them? Because what they believe is so offensive to me personally because my belief and my stance is connected with my faith. Well, that's why I want to talk to you today about faithful disagreements, of how we can actually walk and talk in a culture like this, how we can actually worship next to one another in a culture like this. I want to live in a church, I don't know about you, I want to live in a church that has people from all different kind of political backgrounds, all, that they come from every different type of place. I want to be able to worship next to someone that sees things differently than I do. Now, if we can believe on some core principles, that's pretty important, right? If we can believe on some core basics, then we can allow each other grace and room to fly a little bit without feeling like we have to shoot everybody all the time. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today, because actually 
the Bible has something to say about this. The Apostle Paul actually writes an entire chapter that is exactly about this subject. And I want to take some time today uh, going through Romans chapter 14 with you. So if you have a Bible, pull that out. I'd love you to take some notes this morning uh, because this hopefully will be helpful for you. Because I've seen some of your posts on social media. You need some help. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't your post. It was other people's posts. All right. But I know we need help in this, in this arena. Now, fighting and quarreling. Quarreling is, is that biblical word that we often see in Scripture referring to fighting that happens within the church. All throughout the New Testament, whenever Paul or James or any of the other apostles write to the early church, time and again, they tell the church, stop fighting. Stop quarreling. Actually, I put up a couple of verses here uh, that, that, that it's not certainly exhaustive, but just a, a few of them that were, they were told, don't argue. Stop arguing about things in church that divide you. First uh, Timothy 2.8, right? Men should pray, Paul says, whole, lifting up holy hands without quarreling, without quarreling. Paul says to Timothy again in, in chapter 2 of uh, uh, verse four, 14, chapter 2, he says, charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Go ahead and put up all those uh, scriptures on this one. We'll go through one. But you can see, have nothing to do with foolish controversies. They breed quarrels. Boy, we've got some foolish controversies today. I want to be honest with you. Some of the things we're fighting about, we don't need to be fighting about. Uh, Titus 3, 2, avoid quarreling. James 4, 2, you fight and quarrel. It's almost as if, it's almost as if Right? The early church fathers, the apostles, were telling us fighting and quarreling and bickering is like a cancer that will kill the, the unity and the vibrancy of the church. And we have to understand how to fight against it. They obviously thought it was a big deal because they kept bringing it up over and over again. Whether they were talking to a church that was young or old, a church that was uh, wealthy, a church that was poor, a church that was doing really super, it didn't matter. Whatever kind of church they were writing to, they kept saying, be careful that you don't fall into this tendency that we have as human beings to be fighting about everything all the time. Now, how do we fight? Because we're gonna have disagreements. Have you, have you noticed you're gonna have, if it, how many of you are married today? You haven't ever had a disagreement with your spouse? Right? The answer is not to go to a counselor and they say, just stop fighting. It doesn't work very well, does it? Right? You're going to have disagreements. You have to understand how to do it. Right? We have fighting rules in our house. Right? Like things like, well, we don't call each other names. Or, or we, don't, we don't go to extremes. We don't use finalities. So we're going to kind of talk about some fighting rules because my, um, my encouragement today is not that you would uh, disagree less or that you would feel less strongly about everything, but rather that you would understand how to carry the things that you feel convicted about, how to carry the, th the disagreements that often uh, we, we feel so deeply, because it's the way that we carry them that is actually either honoring to our master, the Lord, or not. It's either honoring to others or not. And so it's so important for us to understand how to do this, so I'm not telling you don't, don't uh, have strong opinions. I don't want you to have strong opinions, but understand how to carry them. So turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to take a few minutes, and we're going to read through almost the entire chapter. Uh, and, and forgive me, but sometimes there's nothing just like reading Scripture, right? Uh, and, and I'm going to try not to make too many comments, but I'm, I'll probably make a few because that's uh, just hopefully for clarity and, and to give you some context as we work through this. So if you have a Bible, I want to open it up. It's on the screen, certainly, but I want to encourage you, uh, follow along with us. I'm going to be reading in the, the Passion Translation. 
The TPT is what it's called, the Passion Translation. Uh, and the Passion Translation is a newer translation that is, is really vibrant right now because uh, the words that are used really help us to understand, I think, a lot of what's going on there in the text. A translation is useful insofar it helps us understand what the original Greek and Hebrew says. And, and the reason why we have more and more translations is because our language changes uh, and because what meant uh, what what wor one word meant uh, uh, even 50 years ago no longer means has that same meaning today. And so we have to continue to keep our understanding of the text, the scriptures, uh, really alive. And so uh, TPT is, is a good one. Uh, by the way, if you're looking for uh, a good Bible translation to read, uh, I recommend New Living Translation, NLT. If you're wondering, man, I, I want a Bible that I can understand, I can read. If you want something to read, get the NLT. If you want something to study, I recommend the ESV, right? The English Standard Version, all right? For those of you that care, hopefully you paid attention. Okay, <laughs> Romans chapter 14. Everybody there? All right, so this is what Paul says about faithful disagreements. He says, offer, verse one, offer an open hand of fellowship to welcome every true believer. An open hand of fellowship, right? That's welcoming to every true believer. Well, he's, okay, he's talking about to true believers, to people that really believe. He's talking to true Christians, not the fake Christians, okay? Now, I think it's interesting than what he goes on to say because now he's gonna explain what true, what true believers are. Who are the true Christians? He says, well, even though their faith may be weak and immature. So by the way, the people that you think are fake Christians, they may be true believers, right? They just might have weak faith. They might be immature in their faith. So in other words, we're supposed to be a little bit more generous in regards to our views of other people who don't have it figured out quite as well as you do. I mean, I'm talking to people that are, you know, you guys got it together. I'm talking about the other people, like in second service, <laughs> the, right? They need help, all right? Even though their faith may be weak and immature, refuse, he says, refuse to engage in debates with them concerning nothing more than opinions, opinions. For example, because, boy, now this begs the question, right? Because we go, Paul, well, tell us, what do you, what do you mean opinions? Because what is in the realm of opinions? He says, okay, well, let's, let's get very specific. And he gives two examples here. He gives an example, and we can call it diets and days. Diets and days. So first of all, he's going to talk about diets, because for the Jewish people, and now, now they're Jewish Christians primarily, diets are really a big deal. You can only eat certain things. So, for example, he says, verse 2, one believer has no problem with eating all kinds of food, Boy, I love people like that. Right, that's my kind of people. Right? You know, if, if, it's, if it's red meat, make sure it's not cooked real, real a whole lot. You know, make sure it's bleeding a little bit, right? Uh, if, if it comes from the sea, man, let, let me, let me if it, you know, if it, if it crunches, let's eat it, okay? Um, all kinds of food, but another with weaker faith will eat only vegetables. Right? We know some people like that. I've heard about them, right? The one who eats freely shouldn't judge and look down on the one who eats only vegetables. Now, I've made that mistake before, right? Because, you know, real red-blooded American men, we eat meat, you know. And, and I've made the mistake of somehow thinking that if you don't eat meat, well, you know, you're not very smart. <laughs> but don't we make those kinds of silly judgments all the time? And Paul says, no, no, it's not about what, you're, what you eat. He says, the vegetarian must not judge and look down on the one who eats everything. Remember, God has welcomed him and taken him as his partner. So now Paul makes a little switch here. 
And he's, so he's given us example. And now he says, now the reason why we're not going to judge one another about what we eat is because when we're judging one another, we're actually judging someone that is connected with God the Father. That's God's partner. That's not my partner, right? And he goes on to, and, and expounds on this example. Verse 4, who do you think you are to sit in judgment of someone else's household servant? We go, what, 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 what am I saying? And all of a sudden we're talking about servants in a household. Well, of course, that's a very familiar concept in those days. So we can understand this. We could talk about maybe an employee, for example. Uh, and if we were just to put an employee there, it would mean the same thing. Who do you think you are to sit in judgment of someone else's employee? His own master, his own boss, is the one to evaluate whether he succeeds or fails. And God's servants will succeed, for God's power supports them and enables them to stand. Right? It does no good for you to judge someone's employee who doesn't work for you. You're not the boss of them, right? Their boss is the boss of them, and their boss will decide whether they like their work or not. Their boss will be the one that judges whether or not they get a paycheck or whether they get canned, right? I mean, it's, that's completely up to him. And so Paul is saying, listen, remember, the boss of every believer is the Lord, and he's the one that's ultimately going to make the evaluation, right? So be careful, he says, how you think and how you judge about others, and what they're doing. He goes on, verse 5, he's going to give us a second example, this example of days. In the same way, one person regards a certain day as more sacred than another. For example, some people worship on Sunday, and some people worship on Saturday, right? And so Jews worshiped on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. Christians started the tradition of worshiping on Sunday. It became a big deal. We're going to fight, well, who's right and who's wrong? Well, you know, some people think we're, we're more, more holy because we worship on Saturday. No, 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 we're more holy because we worship a Sunday. He says, no, no, says, don't, be, don't be silly. He says, it's, it, one person regards a certain day, another person regards them all alike. Doesn't matter what day you worship on. There's nothing wrong, he says, with having different personal convictions. Somebody say personal convictions. Okay? There's nothing wrong with having personal convictions about such matters. For the person who observes one day as especially sacred, look at this, does it to honor the Lord. And the same is true regarding what a person eats. The one who eats everything eats to honor the Lord because he gives thanks to God. And the one who has a special diet does it to honor the Lord. You notice how he repeats that over and over again? Almost as if that's the important principle here. Perhaps more important than almost anything else is that we would honor the Lord. Verse 7, no one lives to himself Paul now goes back again, and he's making this comparison. He's, he's making it bigger than just about the argument. No one lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. While we live, we must live for our, our master, and in death we must bring honor to him. So dead or alive, we belong to our master, right? We're, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Jesus, the anointed one, died and was brought back to life again so that he would become the Lord God over both the dead and the living. In other words, who's the boss? The boss of every believer, the boss of every Christian? Jesus, Father God, he's the boss. Verse 10, why would you judge your brothers or sisters because of their diet, despising them from what they eat or don't eat? And then he says this, look at this, for each will have our turn to stand before God's judgment seat. Now that's a little sobering, but we get really good at judging people right now. We get really good at saying, ah, you know, that their opinion, their view, their thing, the thing they're doing, that's totally wrong. Paul says, maybe you better just back up a moment. 
you yourself are going to have to give an account in heaven. Now, maybe you think too highly about your personal views. I tend to. You want to know an opinion about something? Just ask me. I'll give you an opinion about everything. Right? I got an opinion about everything. My problem is, is I really think my opinion matters. But oftentimes it doesn't. And the truth is, is that I'm going to have to give an account to the Lord for what I believe. So perhaps I should be very careful about what I tell others to believe. Lest I lead them in some direction that will get them into trouble, which means I'm in double trouble. Right? Just as it is written, as surely as I am the living God, I tell you, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess the truth and glorify me. Verse 12, therefore each one must answer for himself and give a personal account of his own life before God. Now let's just go on. Verse 13, now he's beginning to talk to us about how we walk in this. And in, in this section, it's titled, uh, at least in the TPT translation, walking in love. So now we're talking about how we carry this. So he takes it one step further. We're going to get real practical. Verse 13, so stop being critical in condemning of other believers but instead determined to never deliberately cause a brother or sister to stumble and fall because of your actions. See, now Paul's going a whole nother level here with us. Now he's, now he's not just talking about giving liberty in terms of other, peop of, of other people's opinions that are different than yours. Now he's saying you actually have to be careful that the way that you carry your own opinions don't cause someone else to stumble. And this becomes very difficult for us because like everything Jesus tells us, it's incredibly about the heart and the way that we carry things in our heart. And it is so much more restrictive than we would like it to be. Jesus requires so much more than what we would like him to. <laughs> Jesus is not an easy master. I mean, he's an easy master in terms of he freely welcomes us, but then he says, be holy as I am holy. He says, you know, you need to walk in the right ways. Okay, verse 14, I, now I'm preaching, I'm sorry. I know I am convinced. He says, I know, and, and I am convinced by personal revelation from the Lord Jesus that there's nothing wrong with eating any food. So this is what Paul says, I know this. But to, one, to the one who considers it to be unclean, it is unacceptable. He says, I know it's fine to eat any kind of food. But there's others that don't feel that way. So what does that mean? Well, it goes on, verse 15. If your brother or sister is offended because you insist on eating what you want, it is no longer love that rules your conduct. So, you know, if, if I am with someone, let's just talk about the diet for a second. If I'm with someone that is deeply offended by red meat, I can just say, that's the dumbest thing ever. Give me a rare steak, you know, and just, and just refuse to have any kind of acknowledgement that they're at the table. Or I can say, you know what? That's, I, I could just not eat red meat today. How about we have a little salad? I'm going to be okay with that. Why? Because I'm not going to offend you deliberately. Why would I want to do that if I love you? I would only do that if I'm a jerk. The problem is, I'm a jerk. <laughs> right? And you're a jerk too. All right? Why would you wound someone for whom the Messiah gave his life just so you can eat what you want? So don't give people the opportunity to slander what you know to be good. I mean, this is deep wisdom. Like, you know, don't give them a reason to slander you 
Don't give them a reason to go and tell a story. Do you know what Andrew did? What, what a guy. I mean, I thought he was, I thought he was a nice guy. He, he, and he decided to eat that right in front of me, even though he knows it's offensive to me. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink. Right? The kingdom of God is not a matter of, of what we eat and drink. It's not a matter of these external habits, these external things that we do. It's the realm of the Holy Spirit filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. Serving the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities pleases God and earns the respect of others. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want to please God? I mean, isn't it really about pleasing the Lord first in everything that we do? And then, of course, earning the respect of others. Verse 19, so then, make it your top priority. If you're in a paper Bible, you might underline this. If you're in version, highlight it and, you know, make sure that it's marked down. So then, make it your top priority to live a life of peace with harmony in your relationships. Now, that's difficult. Because living with harmony in relationships requires you to have peace with other people and not to have disagreements that cause you to be at war constantly with one another. There's some people I don't like to be around because all they want to do is fight with me. Right? Do you know anybody like that? You married to anybody like that? No, just kidding. Don't answer the question. <laughs> Eagerly seeking to strengthen and encourage one another. Verse 20, stop ruining the work of God by insisting on your own opinions about food. Stop ruining it? Boy, Paul, that's really intense. I feel really, I feel really convicted that I'm not supposed to eat that because in the scripture it tells me I'm not supposed to eat that food. That's what it says all the, throughout the Pentateuch, right? All throughout the law, I'm supposed to stay away from that kind of meat. And Paul says, yeah, you need to lay it down because you are ruining God's work by making it more important than harmony and relationship with your fellow believer. That's intense. You can eat anything you want, but it's wrong to deliberately cause someone to be offended over what you eat. Consider it an act of love to refrain from eating meat or drinking wine or doing anything else that would cause a fellow believer to be offended or tempted to be weakened in his faith. Right? It might be okay for you, but it may not be okay for someone else. So, yes, it's okay for you. But now when you're with someone else, their conscience becomes your restriction. Their belief actually becomes something that restricts your behavior. Why? Because you're considerate of their faith level and of their belief level. So yeah, that's great that you're free, but don't let your freedom cause them offense. So now we actually have to be aware of what other people believe, what they're doing, and what where their conscience has convicted them, and then we regulate ourselves based on them. Wait a second, I, don't, I regulate myself on the Word of God and nothing else. Paul says, no, there's, there's, there's something in here about how you walk. You might be totally free, but you need to be very careful that you are not offending or tempting someone who's weakened in their faith. Verse 22, keep the convictions, convictions you have about these matters between yourself and God and don't impose them upon others. We're going to talk about convictions and give you a couple of definitions here in just a second. But I think that's it. It, we are all very convicted in this season. Boy, there's so many convictions that we have. I'm sure about this and that. And he says, be careful that you don't impose them upon others. You'll be happy when you don't judge yourself in doing what your conscience approves. 
but the one who has misgivings feels miserable if he eats meat because he doubts and doesn't eat in faith. For anything we do that doesn't spring from faith is by definition sinful. I mean, th that last little bit is important because it has to do with your conscience. Your conscience is that part of you that tells you this is wrong, right? And, it, and it be, you know what it is. It's, a, it's, it's like, man, I, I just have a sense that I shouldn't be doing this. And that conscience is a gift from the Lord, especially when it's trained by the Scripture and it's trained by the Holy Spirit. It's one of the ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And, and so, uh, to give you an example, uh, drinking wine. For some people, drinking wine is no big deal. For other people, drinking wine is, is a major big deal. Because in, in their household where they grew up, and their personal conviction is that I got to stay away from that stuff. And so, if you're together with someone that doesn't feel so hot about drinking wine, probably smart for you not to drink wine with them. Because if they then, if you're telling, their conscience bothers them, and you're like, no, it's all right. The Lord says, there's no food and drink. It's not a big deal. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. Go ahead and have a glass. They have a glass. What happens? They feel guilty. Because their conscience is convicting them, they're actually committing sin, which is what's really trippy about this whole thing, is because your conscience then becomes a regulator for what is actually sinful for you. And then when you cause someone else, no, no, it's all right, come do the thing that we're doing. We're told you need to live in the freedom of Christ. But if they have not under, if they're not able to get over their conscience, you're actually causing them to sin. Again, isn't this a big deal, how we're supposed to treat with one another? How we're supposed to care for one another? All right, so let me give you just three important concepts because you guys got quiet, so let's move on. Three important concepts I want, uh, that we can see here. I'm just going to su summarize some of these. One is preferences, absolutes, and personal convictions. So these are some handles here. So preferences have to do with uh, the things that you just prefer, right? Like uh, things like ice cream flavors. Like um, I want to tell you that uh, vanilla from Superior Dairy is the best ice cream. Right? There should be no discussion about it. <laughs> I want to tell you that the best uh, football team is the Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. I want to tell you that uh, Applebee's is better than Chili's. <laughs> right? I, I mean, we can go on and on, right? These are pr personal preferences. These, these are things that, that, that we have opinions of, and we can have very strong opinions. I mean, I think, gosh, I mean, people are, anybody that doesn't think Superior Dairy is the best ice cream, I mean, they have lost, they lost their mind, right? I mean, I don't, I mean, something's wrong with them. Um, but that's a personal preference. Now, an absolute, right, an absolute is something that we stand on, right? It's what I, you could write down, if you're taking notes, a confessional belief. It, it is that bedrock that we stand on uh, in terms of uh, a conviction, a confession that we find in Scripture, for, that, for example, the Trinity, or the nature of Jesus, the nature of sin, and how all men have sinned and need salvation. Those are confessional beliefs. Like we all, when we look at scripture, there's not really any disagreement about that. Like that's where we have to stand. Uh, and so we're, that's an absolute that we can plant our feet on. When Jesus says, love God, love others, that's an absolute, right? He reduces all of the commandments, all of the law into those two statements, and we can agree, we should agree, everybody who's a true, true believer has got to agree that we love God and love others. But then we have this area of personal convictions. Personal convictions are not just preferences. Personal convictions 
actually flow out of our absolute beliefs, our confessional beliefs, but they have to do with the way that we actually are now deciding to, uh, to, to carry those out in, in real life. Um, they're drawn from absolute convictions, and they, they actually direct us in how we walk out in our life in doing them. And have you noticed that two people can have the same confessional belief, the same absolute conviction, and yet carry that out in two very different ways? We, in personal convictions, we are agreeing about the end, right? We're agreeing that we're supposed to love God and love others, but we are disagreeing oftentimes about the means, how we get there, how we actually do it. And so this is how it's possible, even though you don't think it is. This is how it's possible for Christians to vote differently from each other and to both, it's, it's okay. Like they're still saved, I promise. Because it's not a matter of salvation, it's a matter of carrying out what your personal conviction is on the best way to live this out. So Christians can fall on all kinds of the ends of the spectrum, on all kinds of, for example, social issues, political issues, or anything else. But we happen to all agree we're loving God and loving others, but how we get there to that place can oftentimes be very, very different. I was reminded of this quote, who people are not really sure who said it first, uh, but I find it useful. It, it, it says this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. In essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. How are we supposed to carry our disagreements? We carry them with charity. We carry them with grace. We carry them acknowledging that other people can also think on their own and come to a different conclusion. We, we say reasonable people can disagree. Let me just give you a, a couple of thoughts and then I'm going to end so that my wife still loves me at the end of this message. <laughs> How to disagree faithfully. How do we disagree faithfully? I'm okay with disagreeing with you, but, but let's do it in a faithful way. I don't want to lose relationship with you because you disagree with me. This, you, I will probably disagree with you over the span of the time that you spend in this church quite a number of times. But I don't want to have to like, break relationship with you because of it. Because our relationship is based on our unity in Jesus Christ. It's not based on a personal conviction. And I need to give enough space for your personal conviction and you need to give enough space for mine. Number one, remember who you represent. Remember who you represent. Paul says there, we just read it in verse 8, while we live, we must live for our master, and in death we must bring honor to him. So dead or alive, we belong to our master. Who are we trying to honor? We're honoring the Lord. So the question for us, I think, is, does the way that you carry your disagreement bring honor to the Lord? And maybe you could, we could even rephrase that question. It's like if someone else is someone else is looking at your disagreement that maybe you're having with someone and in the very way that, you, that they see you doing it, does that make them want to honor the Lord? Because if it does, then you're carrying it in the right way. But I think oftentimes the way that we carry our disagreements is not really honorable to the Lord. 
It's honorable to maybe our emotions. It honors our sense of pride or our, right, our sense of rightness or justice. But it's nasty and it's harsh and it's mean and it's cruel. And that's not something that is honorable to the Lord. Secondly, check your attitude and motivation. Verse 19, so make it your top priority to live a life of peace and harmony and relationships, eagerly seeking to strengthen and encourage one another. Right? Our attitude is one of care. We are motivated to strengthen and encourage. In an argument culture, the motivation is not to strengthen and encourage one another. In an argument culture, the motivation is to destroy the other person, destroy their opinion, destroy their view. And I want to say that's, that's not how you build anything. And certainly not how you build the kingdom of God. Look at this. Ask, you might write this down, ask not what is permissible, but what is pleasing to the Lord. So it's not just about what is allowed. You can believe many things. There's a lot of freedom. But what pleases the Lord? If, if we all are individually answering that question, Lord, does this thing, the way that I carry this thing, this very belief that I have, is that pleasing to you? Boy, if that, if that becomes our determining factor, then, then we're just going to be just fine. Because there, there, is, that, there is so much grace in that. There's so much humility in that. Here's the kingdom principle. The kingdom principle is this. Your why is more important than your what. Your why is more important than your what. Now, don't kill me for this. Because we're, we're all about the what, right? It's important to have the right beliefs. It's really important why you are doing the thing that you're doing. Because remember, Jesus is about the heart. He's about the internal, the internal motivations of what's going on inside of us, more than he is about the externals, about doing the right thing. If you do the right thing for the wrong reasons, you're not worthy of honor. Jesus is looking at our heart. So we have to be careful right? Because it's, it's, it's really about the why. And so if, if our why is honoring the Lord, if our why is, then we can actually fall into two different camps or many different camps in terms of how we actually do things. But if we're trying to honor the Lord, then that's the highest. All right, number three, be fully convinced. Be fully convinced. Don't just be convinced a little bit. I'm not telling you to have fewer beliefs. I'm not telling you to have fewer convictions. Have more convictions. Like, Wrestle it out. Get in the scripture. Find out what it says. If be convicted about what you eat and what you drink and how you walk and what you watch on TV and, and what kind of conversations you have, what kind of language that you use. Be convicted about what's in your house and what's not in your house and where you go. Oh, be totally, heavily convicted by the Lord because you've read the scripture and you have wrestled it out with the Holy Spirit and he has told you what to do. I want you to have more convictions, not less convictions, right? Be fully convinced, right? Paul says, hey, go ahead. Some say it's a certain day that's more sacred than others. Other people regard them all alike. There's nothing wrong, he says, with having different personal convictions about such matters. Actually, the more you wrestle with it, very oftentimes the more you will have understanding of someone else's wrestling with the same thing. I fear that one of the reasons that we're so quick to judge is because we have actually not wrestled things to the ground. We have simply adopted a point of view because a talking head said it so very well. And so we just retweet it or repost it or repeat it. But we don't actually understand it. We just like the way it feels in our mouth. 
Number four, know the difference between con convictions and absolutes. There is a difference between convictions and absolutes. I am not arguing that there's not absolutes, right? The scripture is very clear. We're not supposed to do many things, murder, adultery, cheating, those things, that's, that's, those are sin. That's, that's sinful behavior. There's, I'm not arguing that somehow, well, we're honoring the Lord. You can't honor the Lord and do those things, right? There, there is a, there's a big difference between convictions and absolutes. But we have to understand how, where, where there is freedom, where there is some openness here. I, I love the example, if you've ever read The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, an incredible story, an incredible book. It's a story of, of a family uh, in the Netherlands who helps, uh, during World War II, helps uh, the Jews escape from, from the Nazis. And uh, I mean, there's so many incredible stories in there. But one of the stories that Corey tells is that her family was part of this network of smuggling Jews through to get them out uh, so that they wouldn't go to the gas camps. And so they, there was a lot of um, subterfuge. There's a lot of sort of uh, lying that they would tell to the cops so that they wouldn't be found, right? Because they, they, don't, they don't want, they're saving lives. And so the cops would come and say, you know, hey, do you have any Jews in this house? And uh, she would say, no, we don't. And there would be Jews, of course, hiding in, in, in the closet or whatever. Um, and, and, uh, but she's lying, and we're not supposed to lie. And, uh, and she's, she felt, well, she said, I was personally convicted that this reason was sufficient for me. But her sister, she had a sister that was not equally convicted in that way. Her sister, when she read the scripture and it said, be truthful, her sister said, I got to be truthful in everything. So when, when the, the authorities would ask her sister, are you involved in uh, smuggling Jews? She would say, uh, yes, we are. And Corey's like, how could you do that? And what's amazing is that, Corey, is that as Corey writes, she says, I don't even understand it, but somehow God honored both of our convictions. She said, my sister would tell them, blank to their face, exactly what they asked with the whole 100% truth. And it was almost as if they didn't hear her. Somehow, like God somehow honored, miraculously gifted uh, that, uh, that thing over her, gave her grace for that moment. Now, we could look at that and say, well, one's committing sin, the other's not. Some, some of it has to do with personal conviction. They're both doing it to honor the Lord. They're both doing it with the right motivation. So, so we just have to understand where the, that the, I, I just wish, I wish the lines were more clear. But you're not children. We're not children. We're adults. And so everything is not simple. And the, the things of the kingdom of God have to do with the Holy Spirit's leading. And he's given us, yes, clear boundary lines in terms of some of those absolute convictions of what is sin, but then there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of gray area. We had better rely on the Holy Spirit because if we're looking for it to always be by the book, it's, it's not going to work very well. If the Lord tells you not to do something, you better not do it. Number five, welcome those who disagree with you. Let's get good at this. Welcome those who disagree with you. Verse one, offer an open hand of fellowship to welcome every true believer. Can we agree that Jesus Christ is Lord? Yeah? Come on in, let's eat together. Let's figure out how to worship together. Let's figure out how to, how to work together. I oftentimes, we, we need to be able to ask ourselves when we come to a point of disagreement, do we want to actually understand that other person? Do we want to hear them? 
or do we just want to tell them something? Do we just want to tell them that they're wrong? Just want, you know, or, or we do, do we really want to get into a deeper understanding of where they're, they're coming from? Uh, think about asking people this. Could you talk to me just a little bit more about your conviction on this issue Bef- before, before you fire your guns, before you pull out your knives? Right? I mean, I got as many zingers as anybody else. But before we do that, perhaps we should have a conversation. Would you tell me a little bit more about why, you're, why you believe that? why you feel convicted in that way. And the truth is, is if we really listen and we really hear, we should walk away from that conversation, conversation with greater respect for the other person and a greater love for them, even if we disagree with them. We, we may not ever see eye to eye on that particular issue, but if we leave that conversation loving them more, then the Holy Spirit has been a part of that conversation. But if we leave that conversation demonizing them or hating them or breaking a relationship with them, something's wrong. I'm sorry, it's quiet again. Number six, pay attention to your conscience and respect others, uh, respect others' conscience. And I think we, we have talked about that. Let me just, I'll give this one, one final example uh, of uh, different convictions. In Another example of World War II um, in Paris, when Paris fell, I think it was June 14th, there were two pastors that were in an open-air cafe. Um, and uh, basically, the, sort of the Nazis, uh, the news came on that the Nazis had rolled into Paris, and uh, people began to celebrate. And they began, people in the cafe all over began to celebrate, jumping up and down, uh, singing songs, and doing the, the Heil Hitler salute. And... Um, and it was pretty obvious pretty quickly that everyone was doing this and these two pastors were not. And, and so one of the pastors jumped up and he said, Heil Hitler, and, and, and did, his, did the salute. And the other pastor couldn't believe it. I mean, he just, just could, was, was shocked. And, and the pastor leaned over to him and, and said, hey, listen, uh, you need to raise your arm. What are you doing? Are you crazy? Are you trying to get us arrested? Are you trying to get us noticed? He said, we shall have to run risks for very different things, but not for the salute. In his mind, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. Now, for most of us, imagining doing that, I think, is, is pretty difficult because it just feels like, man, that is totally giving in to the government, totally giving in to a, a false government. But the, the reality is, is that pastor gave his life uh, in opposition to Hitler and actually being a part of uh, an assassination attempt uh, against Hitler in the very final days of the war. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the premier uh, Christian apologists during that era. He was one of the founders of the, what's called the Confessing Church in Germany, uh, which was the church that was really standing up against uh, the, the Nazis within, within Germany. And yet here he is doing the Heil Hitler because he was convicted that what he was doing was actually so important that he wasn't going to get distracted by a silly salute in his mind. But other pastors were not convicted in that way. There was another pastor named uh, Paul Schneider who gave his life. He refused to give the salute, and they tortured him to death. Now, can you imagine what that, those two conversations look like in heaven with those two guys? Right? Do you think they're, they're, they're still arguing about who made the right decision? Or do you think perhaps they both acknowledge that they were both doing their best to honor the Lord? They're both doing their best to navigate in a world that's broken. And, and it's trying to 
work out how we do this. Let's give each other a little bit more liberty. Let's give each other a little bit more grace. Let's make sure that as we approach one another, our desire is to strengthen and to encourage, not tear down. I think if we do that, we'll be different than this culture. So let's be careful to walk with more love, more grace, not less conviction. Just carry it well. Would you stand with me and I'll get you out of here? I don't know, maybe, maybe your conscience has been bothered a little bit, pricked. Maybe you realize that maybe I've said some things or had some arguments. Maybe I took it a little too far. The good news is that Jesus is here with his grace and his forgiveness for us. And he just says, yeah, let's do this better. Perhaps there's some relationships in your life that you need to mend. Uh, maybe, maybe there's some, some, some things that you need to repair, some people you need to reach out to. I just want to encourage you to do that. Would you bow your head, Lord Jesus? Thank you that you are you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You've called us, your people, to be your church, alive and vibrant in this community. Lord, we don't want to be caught up in looking like the culture. We want to look like you. So help us to, to walk in grace, forgiveness, and kindness. Help us to be strongly convicted, Lord, but to, to give grace to those who are weak in their faith, who are different than us, differently convicted. Help us to mend relationships. Help us to be those who repair the breach, not create the breach. Lord, I pray that Koinonia, that this church would be known as a unifying church, as a people who refuse to be divided by things that are temporary or temporal but that we would see instead, Lord, that the highest is to honor you and to love one another. So, Lord, fill this church with people that, that fall on all kinds of different spectrums, but that can agree that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Help us to serve you well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at kchamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.